Thank you for listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast. I want to invite you to rate us, review us, and subscribe to the podcast. This way, every week when a new episode is available, it will show up immediately in your feed. Also, I would encourage you to get my book, Windows into the Bible. Each chapter provides a case study into how you go about studying the Bible within its context. Again, helping you to understand the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. Check it out, the Windows into the Bible book. You can get it on Amazon. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and to subscribe to the podcast. You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever find yourself confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle finding meaning in what you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out on something that the authors of Scripture intended for you to get? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret and understand the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. Today, we want to explore the spiritual context of the world of Jesus. That seems really, really broad. But I want to focus in on a revolution that took place between the Old Testament Hebrew Bible and the period of the New Testament. This revolution of thought impacts and sits in the heart of many of Jesus' sayings and teachings. To understand it, we need to travel back into the world of the Hebrew Bible Old Testament. Now, let me ask you, how many of you sometimes struggle to pray the Psalms? I do. The psalmist had a really black and white view of the world. Many of the Psalms have the attitude of, God save me because you need me, because I'm righteous, and pour out your wrath against my enemies. Doesn't matter if my enemies are my own family, but just execute against those that are against me. Life's pretty black and white. At the same time, we see in books like Deuteronomy, and kings, this idea that if we'll just simply obey God, everything's going to be okay. We have long life. We have rain for our crops. We have progeny. Life's good. Of course, the consequence of disobedience is the opposite of that. 
our life's cut short, our progeny's cut off, we have famine, and ultimately we can be kicked out of the land. One of the things that we begin to see taking place in the history of ancient Judaism, in those two pages that separate the Hebrew Bible Old Testament from the New Testament and Protestant Bibles, is a wrestling with both of these somewhat simplistic ideas. Number one, that the world really easily divides between the righteous and the wicked. And then also that if I just simply obey God, I will partake of never-ending blessing. Now, of course, to be fair, already within the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, we hear books like Jonah and Job wrestling with issues of the problem of evil and the problem of suffering and so forth. But it was not something that had penetrated the spirituality of ancient Israel like we find developing within ancient Judaism. Now, where this historically is going to begin to emerge is at the end of the third century and the beginning of the second century BC. The land of Israel is caught in this period between two warring factions within the Greek world. The Ptolemies in Egypt, of course, you know the last of the Ptolemies, Cleopatra, Liz Taylor, for those of you who are a little bit older, and the Seleucids who were based in Antioch of Syria. And the land of Israel was right in the middle. In the year 200 BC, the Seleucids are going to gain control of the land of Israel from the Ptolemies. And so what's going to happen then is Seleucid rule is going to be okay, but it's also going to be rather turbulent, and it's going to ultimately erupt in the anti-Jewish policies enacted by a Seleucid king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. And scholars debate as to what exactly caused him to do this, and that's not really the purpose of what we're getting into here. But it's around this time, the late 3rd century, early 2nd century BC, that we hear of a Jewish sage by the name of Antigonus of Soko. And he's going to make a statement that says this, Be not like servants who serve their master with an eye for reward, but like servants who serve their master with no eye for reward, and let the fear of heaven be upon you. This is the first time in human history where anyone ever says, serve God because he's God. Again, within the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, the attitude is, if I serve God, I will receive a reward. So oftentimes, the motivation for serving God is to gain the blessing of my obedience. This, of course, is very much the, the outlook that we find in Deuteronomy. But Antigonus is going to come along and say, no, you serve God without receiving a reward. Now, within rabbinic tradition, they are going to understand Antigonus's statement and suggest that Antigonus's disciples, two of which, Tzadok and Boethus, understood him to mean that there is no reward, meaning that there is no resurrection of the dead 
And therefore, these two disciples are the originators of the parties of the Sadducees and the Bethusians. Of course, the rabbinic story is legendary and really not factual. But what it does say is that people wrestled and struggled with the implications of Antigonus's statement. Interestingly, the language that he uses of to serve and to fear comes out of Deuteronomy 6.13. You will serve the Lord your God, and him only will you fear. Now, within the Hebrew of Antigonus's time, as well as that of the Bible, the fear of the Lord is synonymous with the love of God. And of course, Deuteronomy 6.13 comes on the tail end of Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So the natural question is, if I don't serve God to receive a reward, if I simply serve God motivated out of love, fear for him, reverence, then what's the basis of reward? Because, of course, one of the principal tenets that we find spoken about as it relates to God in the Bible is that he is just and he rewards righteous behavior. The answer to that question is going to begin to crystallize within ancient Judaism around another passage, ironically enough, that also tells us, and you will love, and that's Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we find already in the second century BC that the way that Leviticus 19.18 is being read is not love your neighbor as yourself, but rather love your neighbor who is like yourself. In other words, you and I are more alike than either of us is like God. And what we begin to see is the development of this idea that my that reward is going to be based upon how I treat another who is like myself. For example, in the second century BC work of Ben Sira, in chapter 28, 2 through 5, we read, Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Does anyone harbor anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? If one has no mercy toward another like himself, can he then seek pardon for his own sins? If a mere mortal harbors wrath, who will make an atoning sacrifice for his sins? Remember the commandments and do not be angry with your neighbor. Remember the covenant of the Most High and overlook faults. In other words, if I am not willing to extend mercy and forgiveness to another who is like myself, I cannot expect forgiveness and mercy from God. Now, when we open up the pages of the Gospels, such sentiment leaps off the page at us. We hear, for example, Jesus in the Beatitudes saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In other words, my future reception of mercy from God is dependent upon the level to which I show mercy towards another who is like myself. We hear, of course, the parable of the unforgiving servant, who, when he is forgiven a huge debt, and by the way, sin is described often 
in the period of the New Testament as a debt that needs to be forgiven or repaid. So the image of this slave forgiven this huge debt by his master, who then turns around and refuses to forgive a small debt from his fellow servant, therefore the anger and the wrath and the judgment of the master comes upon that servant because of his refusal to show mercy towards another like himself. This revolution of thought, this development of this humane approach within ancient Judaism, what some have called the development of a new sensitivity, is one of the major ways where we see theologically and spiritually a difference between the world of the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, and the New Testament. And without this revolution, the teachings of Jesus would have been unimaginable. Now, we also find that Leviticus 19.18 is not only being the source for love your neighbor who is like yourself, which, by the way, is one of the two great commandments according to Jesus, but both Paul and James are going to identify this as the complete summation of the law, much like a sage from the second century AD by the name of Rabbi Akiva is going to say the same thing, that Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself, is the great commandment of the Torah. But also, the tail end of Leviticus 19.18, I am the Lord, is seen as a great oath, and it becomes the genesis for what we know as the golden rule. And we find the golden rule in a negative form being stated also within Judaism. And all of this is pivoting around this realization that the basis of reward, mercy, forgiveness depends upon how I behave and demonstrate that to someone like myself. For example, we find a sage, a contemporary of Jesus, by the name of Shimon ben Eliezer, saying, This word, love your neighbor as yourself, has been proclaimed with a great oath. I, the Lord, have created him, meaning your neighbor. If you love him, I can be relied upon to reward you. But if you do not love him, I can be relied upon to visit my judgment on you. Again, think about the teachings of Jesus for a moment. The Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven. At the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, we find Jesus saying, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. Jesus is going to also see and he says this in Matthew 5, that the mercy of God extends to righteous and wicked alike. And therefore, he expects his followers to emulate God's mercy towards others, like themselves. In fact, he says that he causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Of course, the parallel in Luke says, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. This development, this, this thought, this emerging humane spirit, not everybody's going to accept. Not everybody's going to agree with. 
For example, we hear about two major schools within Pharisaic Judaism in the first century, what is called the House of Shammai and the House of Hillel. And Hillel is going to embrace the more humane approach, which sees that in the way that I relate to others, the way that I show mercy towards another like myself, this is the way that God will reward and show mercy to me. The house of Shammai, however, is going to say, no, what matters most is one's relationship with God. In other words, they are going to be more theocentric. That first I must obey, behave in obedience with, care for, take care of, follow God's commandments. And if I am unable to help someone as I am taking care of the things that matter to God, whether that is purity, whether that is observance of the Sabbath, etc., so be it, because what matters most is obeying God. Hillel, on the other hand, and his school is going to say, no, 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 no. The way that I love God is by loving that which is created in his image. Now, in the Gospels, of course, we hear Jesus speaking about the two great commandments, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and Leviticus 19, 18, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. We also find in Luke 10 that when Jesus asks a lawyer who has asked him the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He says, what is in the law and how do you read it? In other words, how do you read the law yourself, he also quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. Now, something that's important for you to understand is the reason why these two passages of Scripture are juxtaposed is because the way that Jews interpret Scripture is based upon common language. It's not theology that drives the association of Scripture passages together, but it's rather language and out of that language, that common language, comes the theology. Now, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 are two of four instances in the entire Old Testament that begin with the phrase in Hebrew, ve'ahavta, and you will love. Now, Hillel, again, the sage of the first century BC, is going to offer several rules of interpretation of biblical texts, how one should use the text to interpret it, okay? And one of his rules is going to say that whenever you find two passages of Scripture that have the same language, if one of the passages is more esoteric, the other text that shares the language becomes the lens through which you read and interpret the other. Now, let me apply this to the two great commands. If you think about it, how does one practically love God with all your heart, soul, and strength? I mean, it sounds great to do it, but how do you do it? Understand in the Bible, love's not an emotion, purely. It's esoteric. So the association of Leviticus 19.18 with Deuteronomy 6.5, it's not saying that Deuteronomy 6.5 is first, meaning it's the gold medal winner. And Leviticus 19.18 is second, meaning it's the silver medal winner. 
but rather that Leviticus 19.18 becomes the window through which you read Deuteronomy 6.5. How do I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength? By loving my neighbor who is like myself. And again, not everyone's going to accept that. Well, let's be frank. Today, not everyone accepts that. But this becomes the basis of how Jesus sees humanity's interfacing with God. Between me and God stands you. And in the way that I relate to you, God will relate to me. This is most clearly articulated in Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about the division of the righteous and the wicked. And he says to the righteous, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will say, when, Lord, have we seen you in this way? And what's the response? Inasmuch as you have done to the least of these, you've done it unto me, now enter into life. But what does he say to the wicked? I was hungry and you didn't. I was thirsty and you didn't. I was naked and you didn't, etc. And then the wicked will say, when, Lord, have we seen you like this? And he says, inasmuch as you have not done to the least of these, you have not done it unto me. One of the challenges that readers of the New Testament have is to understand the emerging spirituality of ancient Judaism. And it's much different than the spirituality and the spiritual world found in ancient Israel in the Hebrew Bible Old Testament. And the way that we get at what is developing, what is emerging, is looking at sources that are contemporary just prior to, during, and just after the period of the New Testament. And today we've seen from Ben Sira, from the saying of Antigonus of Soko, from the saying of Rabbi Shimon ben Eliezer, and there are others. They frame this revolution of thought that took place within ancient Judaism of the emergence of this humane approach. And it was something that was, like I said, revolutionary. And Jesus of Nazareth is going to stand right in the middle of this. In closing, let me remind you in Matthew 5.43, where we find the, what are called the antitheses, where Jesus is going and saying, you have heard it said, but I say. He says, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love those who hate you. Oftentimes, people are trying to find the uniqueness of the voice of Jesus. And the only way that we can find his unique voice is to be able to hear him within the echo chamber of the spiritual world of ancient Judaism. When we hear Jesus saying to love those who hate you, we need to understand only on the lips of Jesus do we have this command. He has penetrated into this revolutionary developing new sensitivity within ancient Judaism, and he's taken it to its ultimate conclusion. We don't even find others in the New Testament picking up that refrain, but on the lips of Jesus, we find the command to love those who hate you.
When we look at the spiritual context of the world of the Bible, the world of the New Testament, we are able to hear Jesus in very new and fresh ways by hearing him within his ancient context. This is the Windows into the Bible podcast. I'm Mark Turnage. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. I want to talk to you about Windows into the Bible University. Windows into the Bible University is reinventing biblical education. We are providing a full curriculum to take you from the beginning phase of understanding the biblical text and its context, all the way through helping you to grow in your confidence and ability to interpret the Bible and understand it within the context of Scripture. By understanding the biblical text within the context of its world, you will learn to read the Bible with understanding. Check out Windows into the Bible University at WITBUniversity.com. That's Windows into the Bible University, reinventing biblical education. been listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>